Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 24th episode of 2021. Yesterday, Senator Bennett, a Democrat in Colorado, Senator King, an independent in Maine, and Senator Portman, a Republican in Ohio, introduced the Bipartisan Bridge Act to provide $40 billion in flexible funding to states, tribal governments, U.S. territories, and the District of Columbia to bring uh, to bridge the digital divide. The Broadband Reform and Investment to Drive Growth in the Economy, aka Bridge Act of 2021, will provide states with the resources and flexibility to deploy future-proof networks able to meet communities' needs in the 21st century. The Fiber Broadband Association supports the Bridge Act as it specifies 100 megabits by 100 megabits minimum broadband speed requirement it requires an affirmative waiver from NTIA if you need to reduce the minimum speeds to 100 megabits by 30 megabits when necessary. And it also includes a prioritization of gigabit service, which is defined as one gigabit upstream and one gigabit downstream. The Bridge Act moves broadband forward and away from legacy definitions that don't allow consumers the full benefit of a globally connected economy. Higher capacity broadband. Um, services are critical to job creation and growth, crossing and closing the digital divide for everyone and creating an economic opportunity for every American. Speaking of opportunities, we're now less than six weeks away from the Fiber Connect Conference, which will be held July 25th to 28th in Nashville. This in-person event is going to be a blowout. We added, <laughs> we added over 150 hotel rooms last week, and we had to add another 100 rooms this week. If you have called and there is they said they're sold out um you know keep trying or let us know um, we're adding more hotel rooms so you know stay tuned uh, if you haven't registered yet uh please do so you won't want to miss it the early bird pricing is in effect till this friday june 18th so don't delay register today um, i'm very excited about today's topic on frontier communications the alchemy of turning copper into gold and again good morning and welcome everybody I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week, we met with Clearfield, Cruise.io, Internet, and Midco to discuss how to gain labor efficiencies with fiber deployment techniques and innovation. Joining us today is Spencer Kern, a Wall Street equity analyst with New Street Research. New Street Research has developed some incredibly interesting research reports outlining the accretive value that fiber deployment brings to cable operators, telcos, and internet service providers from a market valuation and financial metric perspective. Today, Spencer is gonna share with you his latest research and how Frontier Communications is turning its copper assets into gold with their fiber investment strategy and how that investment is being perceived from a Wall Street perspective. Spencer leads coverage of U.S. communications infrastructure for New Street Research. Prior to New Street, Spencer was a member of the Telecom Equity Research Team at Credit Suisse, 
and the International Equity Research Team at Putnam Investments. Spencer holds a BA in economics from the University of Pennsylvania. So welcome, Spencer. Thanks, for our audience, Please type any questions as you go, and we'll do our Q&A at the conclusion of the presentation. So over to you, Spencer. Thanks, Gary. Uh, good morning, all, and thanks for joining us. Uh, the focus of this breakfast, as Gary just mentioned, is on the opportunity that we see for value creation at Frontier and how other copper or fiber-centric companies can employ a similar strategy to create value themselves. So moving to slide two, um, the opportunity at Frontier stems from a very simple source. The company's transforming itself from a copper-based ILEC into a fiber infrastructure asset. Fiber assets in duopoly markets in the U.S. tend to trade at 10 to 15 times EBITDA or even more. They attract these multiples because they are infrastructure assets in a growing market with an attractive industry structure, high barriers to entry, and pricing power. Copper-based assets tend to trade at four to six times EBITDA. Most of the opportunity at Frontier stems from turning four times copper assets into 12 and a half times fiber assets. I'll run through our thesis in five parts. In part one, we describe Frontier's current circumstances. We will then walk through the three primary sources of value creation that underpin our view of Frontier. First, improving the existing fiber business. Second, upgrading existing copper markets to fiber. And third, acquiring more copper assets to upgrade. Finally, we'll walk through valuation and show why this is such an exciting opportunity for investors. Frontier is comprised of two parts. It's a copper-based asset in markets with 11 million homes, and it's a fiber-based asset in markets covering 3 million homes. The copper-based markets have seen falling revenue in EBITDA as cable has taken share with superior infrastructure. The fiber-based markets were acquired from Verizon and they've been growing at a modest pace recently, despite being poorly managed. We see opportunities for value creation in both parts. Um, Frontier's fiber-based subs have been relatively stable over the last several years, um, but subscribers in the legacy business have fallen by 25% over the last five years. Penetration in those markets is now an abysmal 12%. DSL just isn't competitive against upgraded cable infrastructure today, and it won't be competitive against 5G fixed wireless broadband products being introduced by the wireless carriers. Penetration will eventually fall to zero in markets where they have competitors. Frontier operates in 25 states. 80% of their homes are in markets where they compete against the big three cable companies. These companies are aggressive and well-run. They tend to have minimum speeds of 200 megabits. Frontier has essentially showed up to the proverbial gunfight with a plastic Harry Potter wand. You know, moving to part two, we'll focus on the opportunity in Frontier's existing fiber markets, which cover 3 million homes, primarily in three states. These were markets that, Verizon, that Frontier acquired from Verizon in 2016. Uh, Frontier has achieved something that is nearly miraculous. They've lost market share despite having a superior product and a lower price than competitors. That's pretty hard. Frontier has barely managed uh, to maintain subscribers since 2016, uh, despite operating in markets that have likely seen 3% growth in household formation and 700 basis points of growth in penetration over that time period. 
Frontier should have at least 50% market share, which implies that incremental penetration uh, could be 500 basis points um, in their markets. Um, additionally, Frontier is priced well below their competitors, um, again, despite having a better product. We believe Frontier could increase ARPU by $10 at least without giving up the claim to 50% market share. Um, the fiber business at Frontier today generates a billion dollars of EBITDA. If we give them credit for higher penetration in ARPU in those markets, it could boost EBITDA by $200 million uh, to a total of $1.2 billion. Uh, EBITDA margins would improve from 40% to 45%. In a multiple of 12 and a half times, the increase in value uh, could deliver, or the increase in penetration in ARPU could deliver another $3 billion in incremental value uh, once the markets have been improved. Frontier ought to be able to capture these benefits quickly. Um, and more importantly, the improved um, fiber markets will become the template for the markets that, uh, for the copper markets that they are embarking on transforming into fiber uh, in the future. Uh, they should be able to replicate the penetration and ARPU and margins that they've achieved in their existing fiber markets in the new ones. Um, on slide 10, that brings us to part three, which is turning copper into gold. On slide 11, the company um, has analyzed their fiber footprint, their copper footprint, and identified um, up to 3 million homes that can be upgraded to fiber with unlevered IRRs of above 20%, 6 million homes with IRRs above 15%, and 9 million homes with IRRs above 9%. Uh, they estimate an initial, initial build capex of 8.5 to 9 billion for the 9 million homes. Uh, which could drive incremental EBITDA of $2 billion. You know, we actually saw these numbers from Frontier um, and we didn't really believe them. So we worked with Cartesian, an engineering and consulting firm, uh, to do our own analysis um, and estimate the cost of deploying fiber by census block across Frontier's markets uh, to really validate the analysis presented by Frontier. Um, it turns out that our analysis aligned very closely with management's. Um, it showed that Frontier could upgrade 8 million homes with an IRR above 9%, uh, which is slightly lower than what management presented. Um, but, you know, that program would still yield a total program IRR of 16%, which is really attractive. In our view, Frontier should undoubtedly upgrade all of these 8 million homes. They all generate a positive net present value, um, assuming that one, they can get access to capital at attractive rates, and two, there's no better use for the capital. We think they have access to capital for these types of returns, uh, and we don't see alternatives with better returns. Not only does the fiber upgrade project create material value, but it could transform Frontier's business into a growth company. We suspect Frontier will start to capture a fiber multiple for the fiber assets when the market anticipates a return to growth. Um, upgrading, you know, if they only upgrade 3 million homes to, to fiber over the next 8 to 10 years, um, that would basically deliver stagnant consolidated revenues with growth in the fiber markets offset by declines in the legacy copper markets. That's not really exciting. Um, 8 million homes would deliver mid-single-digit uh, revenue growth and high single-digit EBITDA growth. This is the growth pro profile that 
infrastructure investors will get excited about. And going fast is critical. Getting to the inflection point on revenue and EBITDA will open opportunities for Frontier to acquire more assets with even greater upside. If the company can scale to over 1 million homes in 2022, as they've targeted as a goal, revenue with EBITDA could actually inflect in late 2022 based on our estimates. Moving to part four, um, finding more copper to transform. On slide 15, there are close to 55 million homes passed with fiber today, which represents about 41% of total residential housing units in the US. The main constituents are Verizon and AT&T, who account for 30 million homes, and Frontier with 3 million homes amongst the major ILECs. On slide 16, we expect carriers to deploy fiber to another 32 million homes over the next decade, which could take the total fiber passings um, to 87 million homes or 59% of residential housing units. We assume an additional 15 million homes from AT&T and 8 million homes from Frontier. The remaining 7 million homes will come from a range of smaller carriers. If we're right, this would leave about 60 million homes in the U.S. that would still be served by copper, even after accounting for uh, the 32 million homes that we expect carriers to upgrade. We haven't done the granular analysis of these that we have for Frontier to, to determine how many um, could be upgraded with attractive IRRs. Um, but for context, AT&T is planning to upgrade about 40% of their homes. Frontier is up, could upgrade 80% of their homes. If you know 70 to 80% of homes could be upgraded with an attractive IRR, uh, it would suggest about 15 to 30 million additional copper homes that would be ripe for Frontier's alchemy. Once Frontier has honed their fiber deployment and marketing machine, and the market has given them credit for their ability to turn copper assets into gold, uh, the company will be positioned to acquire more assets. Based on the economics and their existing footprint, we think they can create about $1,100 in value per line after acquisition uh, and upgrade costs. So that equates to about $6 billion in value for every 5 million lines acquired. And you know, if we're right that there could be 15 to 30 million additional lines that would be right for Frontier to acquire, uh, it's possible that Frontier could claim you know, at least 10 million of these. Um, on slide 19, uh, moving to the part that gets us Wall Street folks really excited, it, it's valuation. Uh, today, Frontier has a market cap of 6.4 billion with net debt of 6.1 billion, which values the enterprise at 12 billion. Um, and on you know, current EBITDA, that's a multiple of 4.8 times EBITDA. That's an appropriate multiple for a declining ILEC. It is not at all appropriate for a fiber infrastructure business. Fiber assets should trade at 12 and a half times at least based on recent comps. The multiple shouldn't really be controversial. It's tough to find comps below this, and there are plenty of comps at higher multiples than 12 and a half times. You know, if we value the, the $1 billion of EBITDA 12 and a half times, the copper assets are being valued at zero, which just outright seems silly. Um, it's just not being appropriate, appropriately valued. If we value the fiber business at 12 and a half times and place a pretty low multiple of three and a half times on the copper business, 
the equity would be worth $12 billion. Um, and for context, that's a double uh, from here already. On slide 21, if we start with the $12 billion of equity on, from the prior slide, we estimate that higher penetration in ARPU in the existing fiber markets could boost equity value by another $3 billion at our fiber multiple of 12 and a half times. You know, this would boost the equity value for the total business uh, to $15 billion, which is 150% upside from here. If we factor in, you know, improving the existing fiber markets with, uh, with upgrading 8 million copper homes to fiber, um, that could drive a close to fourfold increase in the value of the equity uh, to $26 billion or about 300% upside. Um, and, you know, that's our base case. Uh, we think that is entirely plausible and achievable for Frontier uh, to deliver on. Um, on slide 23, uh, and, and now we get into sort of the, the upside cases, um, acquiring additional copper lines and replicating the success that we expect in the existing fiber footprint uh, could drive a further doubling or tripling of the enterprise value with significant upside for the equity. Um, again, every 5 million lines could boost equity value by $5.6 billion. Uh, we don't see why Frontier couldn't go after 10 to 20 million additional lines over time, which could push the equity value over 35 billion. Another source of upside is, you know, the multiple that you want to place on the copper stub. Um, we valued it at three and a half times, um, which might be an appropriate multiple for a business that's on its way to zero. Um, but once DSL subscribers have been wiped out, uh, most of the residual revenue in EBITDA would come from commercial, which may deserve a higher multiple. If we look at other comps for copper-based assets, um, you know, they're trading at four to six times. At the six times that Lumen trades at, the copper business could be worth $9 billion, which could boost uh, the consolidated equity value uh, by an additional $4 billion. So on slide 25, I've thrown a lot of numbers at you uh, in rapid fire, but if we pull it all together, um, just to recap, the business today is valued at, it has an equity value of $6.4 billion. If we revalue uh, the components with appropriate multiples for the fiber and copper business, that could drive a doubling in the equity value to 12 billion. Um, improving the existing fiber business could boost value by an additional $3 billion and upgrading 8 million fiber, copper homes to fiber could boost value by 11 billion, which yields our base case of $26 billion for 300% upside. Um, you know, if Frontier can additionally acquire 10 million copper lines um, and the copper stub gets revalued um, at, you know, a lumen-like multiple, uh, that could drive an additional $14 billion of value for a total upside valuation of $42 billion or 600% upside from today. Um, so, you know, we don't tend to see this degree of upside uh, for any of the companies that we cover, we get excited about, you know, 20 to 30% upside for a stock. Uh, this is a really unique case where, um, you know, values can, can you know, uh, multiply uh, by 300 to 600% uh, over the course of the next five to 10 years. Um, so we're really excited about it. Um, just moving to slide 26, uh, I'll just wrap up. That That's our thesis on Frontier. Um, 
And I'm happy to take any questions from Gary or the audience in the time we've got left. Spencer, wow. I mean, I can't even imagine an investment where I could get a 600% upside. So what <laughs> if I net this out is um, any, any um, ISP, so any operator that's sitting on copper assets, if they don't upgrade to fiber, it's going to be a declining asset and they're going to continue to lose subscribers. But if they do, at minimum, they're going to double their valuation by investing in, in, in Windstream's um, place by not only investing in fiber, helping doing a little better job on the management side and acquiring more copper lines, they have a 600% upside. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. That is what you heard. Um, and I should... Uh... I should put a disclaimer in front of these numbers, and that is, is that it's not easy. Um, this is what it looks like on paper. Um, in reality, um, execution is incredibly difficult. Um, you need a very well-run management team, and you need financial flexibility to be able to pursue um, this opportunity. In Frontier's case, it was excruciatingly painful. Um, the business really had to delve into chapter 11 bankruptcy um, in order to restructure, uh, relieve the debt burden, um, uh, and to, to have enough capital to pursue this strategy. Now, would this same math apply to similar um, operators, um, Lumen, uh, Windstream, Consolidated, and so forth? It should. Um, I can't speak exactly to every company, um, but you know when we look at the, the biggest driver for all these companies of the returns is, is really the cost of upgrading copper to fiber. And um, that cost is largely dependent on household density. So uh, the denser your footprint, the lower the cost to pass each home uh, ends up being. Um, and you, know, you really need to analyze every market uh, specifically to know exactly what those costs will be. Um, that being said, you know, when you look at the numbers that we've seen from AT&T deploying fiber to, you know, they've already done um, about 15 million homes with fiber, upgraded 15 million copper homes to fiber. They're going to embark on another 15 million homes. Frontier's doing 8 million homes, 80% of their footprint. Um, I think at some point you have to, uh, you ultimately run into averages that, that will work for every company. So I can't say that for Lumen or Windstream that 80% of their footprint is ripe for um, fiber upgrades, but certainly a, a large portion of their footprint is. So we're seeing this massive fiber investment cycle. You know, we're right in the beginning of this. Um, so what's changed? Have the economics of the you know, fiber the home deployments changed? I mean, why now? So they're really, really, why now? It's a great question. Uh, there are really three things that have changed. Um, what people tend to think of it is, you know, the first, the, the most common uh, thought I get from investors is, you know, have the costs to uh, deploy fiber changed. And, you know, those have come down a little bit, but not significantly. That's actually the lowest um, source or the, the lowest, um, factor that, that, that factor has uh, changed the, the least amongst the three factors that uh, have really changed the biggest drivers have been industry penetration and pricing um, so industry penetration you know when uh, Verizon was deploying files 15 years ago 
was you know a thousand to fifteen hundred basis points lower. Um, and so you know all of the you know when you're deploying a brand new network, um, your uh, your biggest source of revenue is subscriber growth, and you typically uh, model to capturing somewhere between thirty three to fifty percent market share. Um, with penetration that's now uh, you know fifteen hundred basis points higher. Um, you know, you can capture far more subscribers with just 33 or 50% uh, market share. So the pool of customers has increased dramatically. And then also um, broadband ARPU has risen uh, tremendously over the last uh, decade and a half. So uh, not only do you have more subscribers, but the revenue that those subscribers generate for you have increased dramatically. Um, and uh, and that's what's really made the IRRs of these projects uh, far more attractive today than they were even just five to 10 years ago. Right. I mean, we have a million questions here, but you stated that Frontier should execute the projects to upgrade 8 million homes. Do you believe Frontier has the physical non-capital resources to accomplish this kind of build out? And if so, in what time frame? <clears throat> so that is the million dollar question. Um, or the twenty-six the short, million dollar question, yeah. That's a twenty. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, the short answer is uh, no. Frontier doesn't have the capital on hand today to fund the entire build. They've got liquidity of about three billion dollars, which we think can get them to the first uh, about three million homes that uh, they want of the eight million that they want to pass. Um, from there on, they'll need external capital we think they'll need five to six billion dollars of additional capital uh, to fund the rest of their build um, and uh, you know based on you know we think they can fund that they can probably fund that with uh, with capital from the debt markets so they wouldn't need to issue equity to do that um, if you look at where you know cable companies are leveraged um, they tend to be you know Charter and Altice are levered at four to five times um, EV to EBITDA. Frontier is only levered at about 2.4 times today. Um, you know, they've got to turn around the business and, uh, you know, EBITDA is declining now. Um, and so they've got to turn it around to growth. But, you know, we think that, you know, $5 billion could put them a little above four times uh, EV to EBITDA, which is entirely pal palatable based on where, uh, cable companies are trading today, um, but you know the one difference is that cable companies are you know growing EBITDA pretty steadily. So uh, you know it's easy to see that leverage falling back down to um, you know a more comparable range of sort of three to four times or two to three times where we see that we see across the broader telco universe. You know it is uh, it's really dependent on I think their ability to raise capital is really dependent on uh, how quickly they can, uh, you know, uh, transform the business from a declining business into a growth business and see that inflection and EBITDA. Yeah, and that, there's a great question here. In order to grow the number of broadband subscribers, um, Frontier will have to get most of those new customers by taking away from large cable companies, primarily Charter. Uh, what do you expect Charter will do to keep their customers from switching to Frontier? And if you look at Charter, right, they got one point. $2 billion in RDOF, and then they're um, adding $3.8 of their own money. So they're going to be making the fi a major fiber investment. 
um, themselves. So how's Frontier going to be able to wrestle customers away? Yeah. Um, so just to, you know, when speaking about Ardolf, uh, Charter is going to be building those uh, passings and locations that aren't served by uh, any broadband infrastructure company today. Um, and so, uh, you know, they're throwing a lot of money um, into the RDOF markets. Uh, they'll probably achieve great, you know, mid uh, double digit, uh, mid teens returns on that investment. Um, but that doesn't really impact Frontier. Uh, you know, where Frontier's upgrading their copper markets, they're already competing with cable. Um, they've been largely decimated by cable companies because uh, they've, you know, Frontier's been uh, relegated to serving DSL um, and competing against, uh, you know, cable with a much better product. Um, our view is that in a duopoly market with two companies that um, offer a similar product at a similar price should uh, ultimately uh, divide the market in two. They should capture 50% share each. Um, in this case, Frontier will actually have a modestly better product um, with fiber versus cable. Um, and they're priced, you know, today they're priced below uh, where, where Charter and Comcast and Altice are priced. So uh, they really should have, um, you know, academically they should have a right uh, to capturing 50% market share at least. Um, to your point, in practice, um, it's difficult. The cable companies have been defending themselves against fiber overbuilders uh, since their inception. And so, um, you know, ultimately it may come down to marketing and, uh, um, uh, and you know, just, you know, pure methods of competition between the two companies. Um, but, you know, keep in mind, Frontier's entering, a mar entering they're, they're, over, they're building fiber in markets where they've only got 12% penetration today. Uh, <laughs> you know, even if they don't capture 50% share um, or and get to 45% penetration, uh, they can, you know, create a ton of value capturing market share of 30 to 40% uh, with penetration of, you know, somewhere around 30 to 30 to 35% as well. Um, well, Spencer, um, you know, I could talk to you about this all day. This is fascinating. I love, you know, the research that you and Jonathan do, and um, thanks for sharing this with us. Um, you know, I, I think your insights is really valuable. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Next week, we're going to be discussing how fiber broadband can eliminate the North American rural digital divide with the Fiber Broadband Association's Technology Committee. So you're not going to want to miss that. So thanks again for joining us today. We look forward to getting back with you again next Wednesday.